0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast that dives headfirst into the proverbial deep end of the latest trek into the final frontier, Star Trek Discovery. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined as usual by members of our boldly terrific panel, including Rachel Clow. Hello. Zaki Hassan. Greetings. And Cicero Holmes.
1: I am the clearing in the forest.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Always a
1: highlight. Every pickup line right there. Discovery. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's how I I got my partner. Uh, It was either that or your density has popped me to me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
0: I did not expect a George McFly reference. That's wonderful. Well, while this past week's episode of our subject series may not necessarily have been as controversial or as shocking as the last one. This episode was certainly bringing the goods as far as entertainment value is concerned. It was an action showcase. It was a character study. And if nothing else, I think it's firmly placed the show in a position it hasn't been in for quite a while. Genuinely uncharted waters. In fact, after uh, the episode was finished, I turned and I said something to Rachel and she said, oh, you have to repeat that on the show. So I'll just say it, I guess. I have no idea what's going to happen next on this show. Just none yeah. whatsoever. <laughs> that's that's the kind of waters that we're in right now. Uh, so it's pretty pretty interesting. So we definitely have a lot of things to talk about in our episode discussion. Of course, though, if you're here at Discovery Debrief, then you know that we start things off a little bit differently. We're going to ease into the episode discussion as usual. So first things first, what's everyone been up to this past week? How have you guys been engaging with Star Trek since we last recorded besides... Of course, taking in the new episode of Discovery. Zaggy, why don't you start us off? Uh,
2: I have not been engaging with Star Trek. I haven't been engaged. I have been engaging with my bed when I have free time <laughs> and sleeping. So I'm a little bit behind in my uh, air date order rewatch, but uh, that's okay because it gives me a chance to sort of uh, let let the latest discovery percolate inside my head. So
0: now that's interesting. Um, while you've been taking in the broadcast order rewatch, and watching Discovery at the same time, do you find that mm. sometimes things can get pushed out one way or the other? Like, do you actually are you noticing maybe that having more time to just think of Discovery has been helpful? Are you able to to segment those pretty well?
2: I, I would say the shows kind of force force uh, themselves to be segmented because Discovery is so uh, intent on being not your father's Star Trek. Uh, internally sure. and stylistically, so it's it's very easy to sort of compartmentalize. I I like kind of having the the discovery version and then as a chaser sort of the more traditional version. So it's it's been I feel a little bit off. I feel like I'm in a mirror universe the last few weeks because I'm. I'm, I'm without like traditional Star Trek. So
0: sure. Yeah. Well, I guess that's, that's kind of appropriate. Well, you are, uh, of course, spending a lot of your time trying to expand the minds of young people and that's a very laudable effort. So, thank you. uh, on behalf of the rest of the panel, thank you for pouring every bit of yourself into doing that. And please get some sleep tonight. But, uh, Rachel, what have you been up to?
3: Uh, I've been reading the autobiography of Jean-Luc
0: Picard. You may have heard of him. And (laughs) And, uh, so you also read the autobiography of of James T. Kirk. Yeah, about a year ago. Right, yeah. And they're by the same author, Mm -hmm. but obviously those two are very different characters. Do you think David Goodman is capturing the respective essences of the two very different captains?
3: Yes, I think I think so. Mm -hmm. It is written in a voice that I can't kind of tell it was like, it's not surprising to me that it's the same author, Uh but uh, he sure has a good command of all of the stuff that has ever happened in (laughs) Star Trek because uh, there's little like um, sort of throwaway lines that, that you hear like, like Q says in tapestry and Mm -hmm. um, and some other episodes where it's, you know these these lines have become entire you know vignettes or chapters in, in this book mm-hmm. uh, ex- explaining exactly you know what that was referring to um so that's kind of fun um i'm sort of finding myself less interested in it as it gets closer to what we saw on the show because then it's you know less like new information sure um but yeah i think he is capturing picard's essence there's a kind of a has a uh, Picard's um kind of like grumpiness. because um, it's like it's supposed to be like old man Picard writing this, right? Right. So, he's at
0: he's at the end so of he's his just career. talking
3: about how ashamed he is of his womanizing in his early <laughs> years is very Picard, I think.
0: But so. so we also so you said that you've gotten a chance to see not just like his academy time, which was hinted at in episodes like Tapestry, but also his early life growing up that we only caught just a few glimpses of in the show and in the movies. And has it been more educational for you as a Picard fan to see his early life or maybe his early career?
3: His early career. Yeah. More. I mean, his early life was, I feel like most of it, it was less of a, you know, a surprise because it was very, uh, very much an extrapolation from the um, the one after Best of Both Worlds, Home, yeah, yeah, where mm-hmm. uh, you know he has kind of this strained relationship with his brother and uh, his father, mm-hmm. it, you know, beforehand, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of it is, you know, very much like that. So, mm. um, that's that's okay. But his early career stuff is, I I really like the, you know, having a whole little story about what you know. What did he mean when he referred to such mm-hmm. and such events? So, yeah,
0: that's cool. And seeing Jack Crusher, probably pretty. Yeah, cool. Yeah,
3: right? yeah. And they he kind of characterizes Jack Crusher as being kind of like Wesley, and oh, okay. He, like, right. oh, he could do math in his head so well. Like, I'm like, Oh, <laughs> that's cute.
0: So it's like a, a quasi retcon. Like, oh, okay, I can see that. Taking an-
1: oh, that makes sense. That's cool. <laughs> Cicero, how about you, my friend? So I have, uh, if you guys were listening last week, you you know that I had started watching uh, Star Trek Voyager as yes. part of the, uh, filling in the gaps of uh, the, is the one Star Trek show that I had not seen from uh, beginning to end. I am now close to the end of season two of Voyager. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, I've I've been hitting it pretty hard. Um and so the season 1 was only 15 episodes. Season the the remaining seasons are at least 26 episodes. Most right. of them are 26. I think one is 25 or 24. Um mm-hmm. but I just finished uh Investigations. Mm-hmm. Uh that was the episode in which we find out why Tom Paris has been acting like a dick for the last five or six episodes it, you know inexplicably. <laughs> right. Um and they they find out there is yet another trader amongst the Voyager crew that is uh selling secrets or giving secrets away. They're not even selling them to the Kazon. Um okay. so, yeah so the next uh the next episode is Deadlock which is uh, there's, I'm reading the description directly off of, uh, Netflix. A spatial scission causes Voyager to become duplicated. One of the ships is under a heavy attack from the Vividians, Vididians.
0: Oh, the, the Vidians. The other, oh, yeah. the, the
1: Vidians. Yeah, I haven't met them, maybe. While the other remains impervious. Uh, so.
0: <laughs> now, uh, you seemed surprised i guess by how different uh, voyager was in comparison with some of the other uh next gen era shows that you've seen now that you've absorbed significantly more uh has your perspective on it evolved at all one way or the other
1: um you know i'm still in the middle of it i, I like i you know i'm not um I, I definitely had some issues with the way tom paris was was being portrayed uh mm-hmm. in in the middle of uh in the middle of this season cuz it just kind of seemed like it came out of nowhere that he was just being insubordinate um you know and obviously now it makes sense but uh i'm you know i'm taking it all in right now i'm still very very early into the arc of the show so um mm-hmm. sure yeah i'm just i'm just kind of living with this crew right now and uh i will i will hold Hold some of my judgments uh, until until the end. Um, it 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 is not in any shape <laughs> in any shape of the imagination is it moving itself up from the bottom rung of Star Trek mm-hmm. shows? Not not to say that that's a you know that's a bad place to be. Um, you know, a bad Star Trek show, generally speaking, in Voyager is you know in quotes a bad Star Trek show is still a good show overall um a but,
0: bad star trek episode is still star trek
1: exactly Basically. Exactly. Yeah. and and so this um you know the show is good i'm in, i'm enjoying i'm enjoying the um the interactions between the crew and and you know what what's going on and uh well you know we'll see we'll see where it goes from you know from there uh and uh, but it is not it is not bumping enterprise out of the the second to last spot in in my in my head in my estimate. So deep
0: Deep Space Nine is in no threat, not of, yet uh, of being superseded. Not
1: not yet. Not unless uh, these characters become uh, multi dimensional. Um, and you know everyone everyone still pretty much seems like uh, a one trick pony. Well, hey, you know, a lot can happen
0: in five seasons. That is correct. And a lot does happen in five seasons. Interestingly enough, too, um, Robert Duncan McNeil, who plays Tom Paris on Star Trek Voyager, he originally, at least as far as I understand it, the character that he was going to play on Voyager was actually going to be Nicholas Locarno, who he also played on the fifth season episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, The First Duty. Oh, yeah. Apparently they decided against it because they would have had to pay royalties to the writers of that episode in order to continue using uh, a character that was established on another one. But Paris and Locarno are very, very similar. And it's pretty, not just because they're played by the same guy, but it's kind of of interesting, especially watching the first duty after the fact, after you're aware of Voyager and seeing all that stuff to... uh, to take that in. But um, well, cool. Well, I'm glad that you're able to, to jump into what was kind of a blind spot in your, uh, your recollections of star Trek. Right. And you're filling that in at a rapid pace. <laughs> I have to say, That's
1: uh, that's something else, man. That's, that's awesome though. Yeah, I, yeah, uh, hopefully, hopefully by next week, I will be uh, at the same point in season three. <laughs> well, we'll uh,
0: we we will definitely have to see exactly where you where you lie when we reconvene next week. Right but uh, as for me, uh, it's mostly been uh, I absorbed a couple of other episodes of the original series as I'm wont to do uh, when I'm just trying to kill time on a lunch break. But the biggest share of my Star Trek absorption, along with Rachel, was actually not particularly Star Trek-related, but it was informed by Star Trek because we watched a movie called Please Stand By, starring Dakota Fanning, Star Trek Into Darkness actress Alice Eve, and comedian Patton Oswalt, and also an awesome dog whose real name is Blaster. <laughs> in, in but that was a cool name for a dog, I thought. But the movie is about a young woman who – she she's autistic? Yeah. Yeah, she's on the autistic spectrum, but she is a huge Star Trek fan and Paramount Pictures is throwing a Star Trek screenwriting competition. And she writes this story that it sounds awesome. I wish I could read the script because it's Spock moving in and out of time, including going to places like Deep Space Nine and trying to enlisting the help of or trying to enlist the help of Worf uh, to save the life of Captain Kirk. And it sounds really cool. But uh, it's about her writing that script and going to uh, the Paramount lot to try and drop it off for a contest when she's not able to mail it. So it's kind of like a uh, road trip, self discovery, trying to find your way through the world. It's not the most unpredictable movie, but it was it was pretty nice. I thought Rachel, did you did you enjoy it?
3: Yeah, I had a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't
0: too stressful. I thought it was going to be very stressful. Yeah, it was okay. Well, anytime you have a, a, a dog in a movie, you always yeah. go like. Uh, I well, know. You know,
3: I'm, I feel like they only put dogs in movies to kill them, so I,
0: yeah. I was worried. But this this movie, the dog survives. Yeah, so. it wasn't like that at yeah. all. It was there was there's one part where she gets thrown off of a bus that she's taking from San Francisco to Los Angeles, and immediately the first people that she meets rob her, which I thought was a little. Really? She just meets robbers right off the bat? That's- well,
3: she meets robbers and then she goes to a convenience store and the convenience store clerk tries to like ch- overcharge her. And I just, I thought like your chances of running into that many bad people that quickly are actually not very good yeah. because most people are pretty, pretty nice in my experience. Yeah.
0: <laughs> just statistically. Yeah. You would think any, but, but I mean, it's, it's a good movie that's, that's worth watching and. It's hard not to at least smile at the Star Trek influence, not explicitly related to Star Trek, but inspired by Star Trek, I guess you could say. Is that movie been on your guys' radar at all? No, not at all, actually. Yeah, its it, it, I guess it uh, hit theaters last week, but it's, it was on limited release, so we just watched it through Amazon Video. We rented it for $6, I think, and it's pretty short and not a bad way to spend 90 minutes if you got some time. Worth watching. But uh, we do have a couple of interesting news items to get to before we head into our episode discussion. So why don't we do that first? So while this isn't directly related to current or past iterations of the Star Trek franchise, this item should at least bring a smile to the faces of a lot of Star Trek fans. Uh, From 1977 to 1982... None other than Leonard Nimoy hosted a show about amazing phenomena called In Search Of. News has come down that the History Channel plans to revive the show, and the new host and executive producer will be none other than Zachary Quinto, who of course famously succeeded Nimoy as Spock in the current Kelvin Timeline Star Trek movies. Did any of you guys watch In Search Of when it was first on the air, or maybe did you pick it up on a rerun, Cicero? Cicero
1: no um that was definitely that definitely missed my radar um you know and so uh when it went off the air in what 82 yeah i was 6 so ah. yeah so it was uh it was definitely not something that even even the precociously inquisitive 6 year old version of me <laughs> would have known existed so sure Zaki, you
0: uh, you actually wanted to try and bring this to my attention before you saw that we were already going to talk about it. What, what What's your impression of this news?
2: Oh, man, I love it. I Yeah, I, I used to watch the show uh, when I was a kid. They showed it on TV in Saudi Arabia. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was just that was one of my first exposures to Leonard Nimoy uh, outside of Star Trek. And obviously, oh, it's Mr. Spock mm-hmm. and he's talking about these like crazy, unexplained things. So uh, definitely an indelible part of my childhood. So uh, I'm like, come on, the synchronicity of, <laughs> of Zachary Quinto uh, taking over uh, multiple Leonard Nimoy roles? I mean, come on. I, the only thing left is, is I want at Quinto to play, you know, the amazing Paris on, on mission impossible in a mission impossible movie. <laughs>
0: oh, uh, man.
2: That, that would be, you know, the only thing missing, I think.
0: Yeah. And he needs to sing Bilbo Baggins and <laughs> yes, that's what he needs to
1: do is sing, sing Bilbo. We got to uh, take it all the way yeah, up. Sing Bilbo Baggins and then uh, be the, uh, the uh, creator of the thing on fringe, whatever that thing oh, was. Oh, Gabriel
0: Bell. Yeah. He yes. needs to play a younger version of Gabriel Bell. Yeah. That would be pretty cool. Uh, I've, I've never actually seen this show. I did a little bit of research about it and uh, I guess Rod Serling was originally going to be the host, but he had passed away before he could jump in. But Rachel, did you ever watch In Search Of? This seems like it would be right up your in alley. In Search
3: Of was my jam. Really? Yeah. It was on the History Channel and reruns when I was a kid. It was? Yeah. Oh, I don't know I, how I on, Like it. in the middle of the day. I don't know why I was watching it. It must have been summer. I think oh. it was summer. I would watch it yeah, yeah cuz i <laughs> was just totally my jam and i will like never ever forget uh leonard Nimoy in the show or the episode about the yeti he pronounces the like himalayas Himalayas,
0: like <laughs> deep in the, um, deep
3: in the himalayas
0: it's <laughs> like Shatner pronouncing sabotage yeah. everybody's sabotage their own
2: way of doing it. i don't say sabotage you say sabotage <laughs>
3: Oh. But I think the new one probably won't be as good because the modern like History Channel like mysteries are it's always like so ridiculous. Yeah, it's like you, there are actual mysteries <laughs> like you could you could <laughs> do it without lying or having a crazy guy being like it was aliens. Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, was aliens. My brother loves Ancient Aliens, which says a lot about him. I think. I love him though, crazy guy. But no, this is cool. I mean, I'm I'm interested to see how this how this ultimately goes. But uh, I'll have to see if I could find some of the original episodes with Nimoy somewhere because it sounds like it would be fun to watch.
2: They're they're on YouTube. The whole series is on YouTube. Oh, wow. Yeah,
0: excellent. This you is
3: excellent news.
0: <laughs> yeah, Rachel's also been taking in old episodes of Unsolved Mysteries. So we oh, me too. Oh, really? Yeah, because they're on Amazon Prime. Yeah. So you just uh, that's right. Perhaps it's you.
2: Robert Stack, man, he, he scared the crap out of me, man. He could just be like, This they've never been found and you're like, I just crap my pants. All right.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, he scared me in the Beavis and Butthead movie when he was talking about cavity searches, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but uh, all right, well let's let's move along to the next news item. Uh, and it's news that I'm sure will surprise exactly zero people. But William Shatner related on Twitter that he would be happy to consider returning to the Star Trek franchise if asked by Quentin Tarantino to make an appearance in the apparently developing new film project. I don't want to ask our panel what they think of this, because I think that side of the equation is probably pretty obvious. Instead, let's make this a pedantic continuity portion for this episode of Discovery. (laughs) So, guys... You hear that Quentin Tarantino wants to make a Star Trek movie that has to do with time travel in some fashion. You know, he cited yesterday's Enterprise and uh, City on the Edge of Forever as potential inspirations for the kind of story that he wants to tell. But Jim Kirk of the Prime Universe is dead. So my question is, can this happen? Should this happen? Why or why not? Zackie, why don't you start us off?
2: Uh, no, no, because there's my answer, <laughs> and,
0: and that is what we call this portion of <laughs>
4: <Agony>. <laughs>
2: Oh my gosh, dude! I mean, it's 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 done. It's done. Yeah. he's he's eighty plus. I love William Shatner as Captain Kirk. He will forever be one of the greatest heroes of my life. But honestly, I don't want to see an eighty plus year old Captain Kirk doing anything. It's just that's not you know. Uh, and 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 Shatner's answer is like, yeah, of course he's going to consider it. Like it's it's such a non news yeah. thing. You know what yeah. I mean?
0: Yeah. So the only reason That's that great. I really brought it up is because we're a little dry on some news stuff this week. <laughs> Kirk, considering what kind of show we are, it seemed like an obvious thing to bring up. But Cicero, do you have any
1: thoughts on whether or not this can or should happen with Captain James T. Kirk? You know, I, I mean, I said, it, I said it before. I'll say it again, what Zacky said. Um, yeah. <laughs> Look, I, of course, he'll forever be Captain Kirk. Uh, you know, when, when he, when he dies, you know, when, when, you know, when that inevitability comes to, comes to pass, we will of course tell him, uh, you know, to live long and prosper and that he will uh, always and forever be our friend. Um,
2: He's really not dead as long as we remember. Exactly. And,
1: and you know, but, but as far as him, as far as me spending an upwards of ten plus twelve fifteen dollars, and you know, along with popcorn and soda, to see William Shatner on the on the screen, ham up some lines as Captain Kirk, that's not what I want. That's mm-hmm. it's it's t- totally not what I want. Um sure. you know, it, it may be if. If, in some way, shape, or form, discovery finds its way a hundred years into the future, and we find a very, you know a a uh, octogenarian uh, Admiral Kirk before he dies in an episode, I'd be fine with that, but not not uh, mixing it up with with the, with the Kelvin timeline crew on a big budget film that is you know expected to make three hundred or four hundred million dollars no
0: all right understandable Rachel Captain Kirk is he dead? Should he stay dead? What do you think?
3: he is dead he should stay dead do not want do not want, do not want. <laughs> all right. No
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, look James T. Kirk is my captain, but I have often made the distinction to people, and some people get offended when I say this I hope hopefully none of our listeners do, but some people get offended when I make the distinction between saying I am a fan of Captain Kirk, not necessarily of William Shatner huh. and uh I mean not that William Shatner hasn't done some really good cool things outside of Star Trek. He absolutely has. But, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of fan who's absorbed a significant amount of stories behind the scenes of the original series and the movies. And William Shatner is not exactly the kind of human being I looked to as a role model when I was growing up, let's say. So the fact that, yes, I was disappointed when they killed Captain Kirk in Star Trek Generations. I didn't think that that was a death that was befitting of my favorite captain in Star Trek. But the... The time has passed, like Zachy has said, like all of you guys have said. The time has passed. We have a very capable current Captain Kirk who is doing a fantastic job with the material that he's given. And uh, if we have future adventures of Captain Kirk, I would almost be more. Uh, it would be more palatable to me if Chris Pine played older Prime Kirk than uh-huh. William Shatner. Right? Totally no. agree, 100%. So. Yeah. You know, that's that's neither here nor there, I suppose. I mean, I'll be really interested to see what Tarantino comes up with, presuming he actually ends up making this movie, which there's no guarantee of by this point in time. Right. But uh, as far as William Shatner as Captain Kirk, there was an old website. I don't know if you guys saw it. It was probably about – and I went to it all the time when I was in high school. It was bringbackkirk.com. I remember that. Did yeah. you see the, the CG animated trailer? yeah i remember that i mean it was the most contrived crazy awesome thing oh, it was terrible it, 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 <laughs> no the, the quality of the cg was terrible but for my brain when i was 14 years old watching that yeah. thing just made the gears turn and you know that's when the judith and garfield reeve stevens shatner verse novels yes. were coming out those are really great stories to take in
2: you know it's that trailer, it was the equivalent of, like, this Friends movie trailer yes. that's gone, that's gone yes, viral. Yes, exactly. You know, it, it's like the sci-fi nerd equivalent of that, where they pulled all this audio and all this stuff, and then this really dicey CGI. Yeah. <laughs> to make it work.
0: I mean, I, I don't think I could really <laughs> I remember give well. much time to it today, but, I mean, at the time, there was a place for this 10 or 15 years ago. Today, mm. the time has passed, and I think the time passed with Leonard Nimoy, frankly. Yes. I would not want to see the return of Shatner as Kirk if he couldn't stand beside the original Spock. That's just
2: and, – And and McCoy, I yeah, mean, I yeah, mean, and just yeah. to add to what you're saying, I mean, it's – this is interesting because we're in this era now where we're having to say goodbye to – the original iterations of, of these characters. I, you know, I mean, obviously Han Solo, uh, was at least for me, that right. was traumatic.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, uh, uh
2: and I, and I, I've said this before, like watching Han Solo die, certainly as an adult, I have never felt what I felt in my mm-hmm. chest, uh, seeing that. And I realized a big part of that. And I remember watching Captain Kirk die and I cried afterwards. I remember
4: mm-hmm. that.
2: Um, but we're we're just we are getting older, and so these characters have to change in some way. And either that means we say goodbye to them because Han Solo cannot outlive Harrison right. Ford,
4: yeah,
2: um, or they change into another actor. And that's these are these transitions that we're now experiencing. Right. It's very hard, right. you know. And I think I think to some extent, uh, William Shatner you know, in the back of his mind, I think this is just my like armchair psychology. I think he will always regret having agreed to kill off Kirk in generations. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, so we see that manifest in these novels. And in remember he won't, he was almost going to come back for enterprise and stuff. And it's like, it's gotta be just knowing what we know about William Shatner, the fact that captain Kirk has outlasted him or transcended him. Maybe that's mm-hmm. a better word. I, I think that that is a better thing for him that's just me extrapolating like like Leonard Nimoy was like good deal, Zach go to town have fun and I don't think William Shatner was ever okay with it
1: you know where Leonard Nimoy played a character that was iconic William Shatner ceased to exist once once (laughs) Captain Kirk hit you know pop culture you know hit his pop culture zenith and he is, you know, he wow. will forever be that person in his eyes. Um, and if he could legal, yes. if he could have legally changed name to Tiberius, <laughs> <he> would have. <laughs> well, and just to kind of move it along
0: because we need to to move along pretty quick here. But I'll just say that if I had to label something that I think Shatner did that was stupid, just out and out stupid it was turning down that beautiful scene that was written for him in the 2009 movie. Yes. Uh you can you yes. can see it online. It was a holographic recording that Spock Prime had in his possession that he showed to his younger counterpart that would have ended that movie on an even more perfect note mm-hmm. that would have put a nice little bow on their relationship as we knew it.
2: But Chris, you know the crazy thing, they never even showed it to him.
0: That's nuts.
2: Because Preemptively, preemptively, he was like, "I'm not doing a cameo," <sighs> and so they were just well, like, "All right, well, never mind." Because they they said that they're like, "We we didn't even bother." That's idiotic.
0: It because- I mean, he, especially for for a guy who, for all intents and purposes, attempted to disown the part multiple times throughout his career to try and move along to other things, and then now to to want to be the center of attention again for an, a new generation, someone who has actually succeeded you in that part. That's just the. the the height of idiocy to me because that scene would have been a wonderful bow on the Kirk that we knew, even if it was quote unquote, you know, a cameo, it would have been a a kick-ass cameo is what that would have been. So, all right. Well,
2: can you imagine if they had kept that completely under wraps, if he had agreed to do it and they didn't tell anybody, I would have
0: drowned the theater in my tears. That's what would have happened. Right. Yeah. Right. I was just, Totally missed opportunity. But anyway, we have one final news item to get to before we get to our episode discussion. It's just kind of an interesting one. According to an article at Forbes, Star Trek Discovery is doing very well in online engagement for a series that is a bit siloed off from traditional streaming services. The article says, quote, according to Parrot Analytics, Star Trek Discovery has more than 53 million people talking about it in the U.S., That beats The Walking Dead, which has around 46 million expressions. Netflix's Stranger Things also has 33 million of these within the United States. And it was also noted that Parrot Analytics tracks all sorts of interest, including both legal and illegal streams, as well as social media expressions and conversations. So have you guys noticed anything about discovery-based conversation in your own social media circles, or more specifically, has the show come up in places that you may not have expected it to? Rachel?
3: Well, I don't think I'm a very good judge of that because – You're on Instagram all the time. <laughs> yeah, but it's never really – it's not on my Instagram. Okay. I'll tell you that. So it's it hasn't really come up. Then no, no, nowhere that I haven't expected it to or, be, you know, because I'm on this show, I've been, you know, yeah, tagged right. because of um, – I don't know. I'm a little bit cynical. I wonder if CBS just bought a bunch of, like, robots. To,
0: like, <laughs> that is, like, is a valid question right now. <laughs> that
3: is. Yeah. I mean, it's totally possible that yeah. they bought, like, bots to just tweet about stuff. So,
0: I don't know. Zachy, have you seen any discovery-related discussion crop up in unexpected places?
2: Not really, man. And, I mean, yeah, I, I, I feel like, I mean, I, I would I would assume it's doing well, uh, within the parameters they've set out for it, but I, I, I don't, I, and this isn't meant as a critique, but I, I don't think there's enough here that would expand it beyond what we would consider a traditional Trek audience, and, and obviously there's plenty that has alienated factions of the traditional Trek audience, but I don't, I, it just doesn't strike me as a show that's even trying to be like a, a mainstream right. kind of a crossover.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Cicero, how about you? I I think that they, when they were, when they were pitching this show and as they were writing this show, what they were trying to do was to take Star Trek, uh, take Star Trek, the franchise and marry it with some of the best TV that's out there or some of the most talked about shows that are out there today, like The Walking Dead. Uh, like stranger things and more importantly, like game of thrones. Uh, and, and Mm -hmm. I think in, in, in some respects, they definitely succeeded in that. And I think we'll, you know, we'll get to that in the show. Um, yeah, but, uh, but I, I haven't found anything. I haven't found myself surprised by, uh, any, uh, social media discovery talk because when I find the discovery talk is when I'm looking for discovery talk so uh, right you know, like I haven't been on Twitter and seen that discovery was trending at any particular moment in, in time and it's generally because I'm not looking at Twitter when the show is on um, but, sure. but and you know there are a couple of water cooler moments around around my office where I, I talk about it but again it's with people who are watching the show and it's not people that I wouldn't expect so.
0: Yeah. Same here. Uh, I mean, this this news was a little surprising to me just because I have not seen this organically come up in any of my social media circles, except when I was seeking it out, when I was seeking out a specific uh, Star Trek hashtag or discovery hashtag or looking at Star Trek related Twitter accounts. So uh, I have not felt this, but we'll see what happens, especially when the entire season is available to stream, because I kind of have a feeling that once the whole season is out, CBS might get a couple of people that jump into a free trial just to binge the entire thing in a couple of days. And uh, I'll be Mm -hmm. interested to see if any of the engagement goes up as a result of that. But let's move along. So we have a pretty interesting episode to talk about. So we will now discuss Star Trek Discovery, Episode 13, What's Past is Prologue. So, after getting free of the agony booth and killing his jailers, Lorca finds the surviving crew members of the ISS Baran and frees them from captivity since they've been tortured since his disappearance. They corner and capture Mirror Stamets and enlist his help in manipulating the Charon's onboard system to kill those loyal to Giorgio so that Lorca can exact his revenge and usurp her throne. Giorgio hides while Burnham manages to avoid capture as well and contacts the Discovery. So the crew of the ISS Buran isn't quite as dead as we or Lorca were led to believe. And I have to admit a little disappointment on my part that the only apparent transposition that seemed to take place in this entire thing was just between the Lorcas, our Lorca and Mirror Lorca, and not with Commander Landry. Overall, what do you guys think about this way or the way that this episode kicked off? Rachel?
3: He went full Isaacs. (laughs) That's (laughs) how I feel there was the, the full you got to see the fullness of the evil that Jason Isaacs can uh through the whole episode yeah um the the evil that Jason Isaacs can portray so delightfully
0: so his casting is becoming obvious to you now oh
3: yeah oh yeah <laughs> he's got you know he's that's that's the Jason Isaacs I know that's you know like burning innocent people alive in a church and <laughs> <laughs> killing harry potter <laughs>
0: Of things. Kicking the crap out of his house off stuff like that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zaki, how about you?
2: I mean, it's it, it's certainly gripping and action packed. Uh, you know, I, I I sound like a broken record. I just I think uh, turning uh, Lorca, revealing Lorca, is basically being like I don't know, space Trump <laughs> is like <laughs> super uninteresting to me. It's it's such it's such the. Like it's one of those things where again I'm trying hard not to be like I wish they should have done this therefore it's bad and I'm I'm not I'm not saying that but it's one of those things where I'm like okay this is what they're doing so I guess that's what they're doing mm-hmm. you know <laughs> and so in that sense what they did was certainly it, it was it it kept my attention
0: I'll mm-hmm. put it that way right. so the the sting of the revelation last week has not quite worn off yet
2: uh, not not so much yeah and and more for uh. What, what I feel like they're throwing away. Uh, however, that being said, I, I do feel like um, th- this episode did, you know, as you know, from the beginning, I've been very kind of meso-meso on the whole mirror arc. I, I do feel like we got certain things out of this episode that at least uh, m- gave some some utility to this, this mirror uh, okay. sojourn.
0: That All we've right. been yeah, on. we will have to yeah. get to that. Cicero, how about you? What did you think of the way this one kicked off?
1: I I mean, I thought that his, his heel turn, uh, Lorca's heel turn was, was full, unrepentant, and (laughs) there was no coming back, you know, there was no coming back from it. And it, and it kind of took me by surprise. Um, Mm -hmm. like I, I just, when we left off in the, in the last episode, I just wasn't sure where he was going to go. From, you know, obviously there was a sense of self preservation in him murdering this guy who was the captor who had him in the agony, the agony booth. And he wanted to kill this person who was, you know, exacting revenge for his sister. Um, and, you know, clearly there was, you know, there was some mustache twirling, um, at that point. But by the time we get 10, 15 minutes into this episode, I almost felt like, I didn't know this guy for the previous 10, Mm -hmm. you know, like this guy was, was, uh, you know, separated. He almost seemed like the mirror version or the more evil version of the person that we had known for 10 hours, 10, 11 hours previous. Mm -hmm. Sure.
0: Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I certainly thought that things kicked off in a way that, uh, I wasn't sure going into this if it was going to be necessarily an action episode, but I think it was very much that, which, you know, not that the show hasn't had a significant amount of action in the previous episodes, but it seemed like this one was leaning more on an action side of things because, I mean, its runtime is comparable to last week's, but I don't feel like quite as much happened plot-wise. But that's not necessarily a bad thing just because we were treated to some some pretty interesting action that for my money anyway, I was trying to think earlier, if we've seen this degree of action at this quality in previous Star Trek, and maybe some things in the Kelvin movies come close, but this might have been some of the best action in the entire franchise bar none. So. At least in that respect, I found value in that, even if it wasn't the most meaty when it comes to actual plot progression. But, uh, of course, one of the major characters in this episode was Saru, because he learned the truth about Lorca and had to deal with the fallout of morale that resulted from Lorca's deception. I loved Saru's speech, and I especially loved the way that his oft-repeated ability to sense the coming of death was flipped into an inspirational pep talk for the crew that sorely needed it. But what did you guys think about Saru's positioning in this episode and how he seemingly starts to come into his own as a capable starship commander, not... Googling how to do his job in the ready room when people aren't looking, he's, he's kind of moved past that, I think. But Cicero, what do you think about Ceru's progression in this episode?
1: Well, so um, you know, back to, to your point about the the previous uh, previous part, um, I love this episode. Like I, I like I completely fanboyed out for this entire episode. It reminded me of you know any Game of Thrones fans. It reminded me of the ninth episode of any Game of Thrones season. Mm. Um, where it is, it is just like you've spent all of this time building up to things and you're trying to figure out what happens and you think you've got a sense of what's going to happen. And then this, you know, this all out, just action packed episode happens where, you know, it's just everything that, that you, you, you wanted to see ultimately that you didn't even know that you wanted happens. And, uh, this thing with Saru, you know i i was I, like i was ready to jump into the crew and and you know <laughs> give my all give my all for him because you've spent this entire season literally every episode with Saru and watching his maturation to the point where you know like you knew he was a capable officer but you you never felt like i don't think at any point we felt like he was ready for command um, and, you know, yeah, he can command in a pinch. But after that speech, at, you know, as the crew said, he was the captain. I'm the captain now. And, yeah. and, and he, <laughs> and, and you believe that, you believe that, you know, not only was he ready for command, that he is going to command this crew and they are going to succeed. And everyone felt okay, including me, after listening to that speech.
0: Yeah, what's the old psychological adage? uh, Anger is more useful than despair. He got – maybe that's what he needed. He needed to get pissed, and uh, Lorca probably pissed him off. Yeah. So pretty pretty interesting stuff. Zachy, what did you think about the way that Saru developed in this episode?
2: You know, I got to tell you, this is the episode – where I liked mm-hmm. Saru.
0: <laughs> it uh, happened. Finally.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because, I mean, I, I, I didn't dislike him. I was just like, he's just kind of there. And he did. He struck me as, as Spacey right, or, right? I right, right. right, said that yeah. before. And, and, and that speech, yeah, it was effective. So all props to, yes. to Doug Jones for really uh, making a meal out of that. And and yeah, I mean, I think what he said, where he says, "Discovery's ours now." I mean, it's a great moment, right? And this this is our her maiden voyage. That's great, yeah. you know. Uh, and that g- goes to what I said earlier about uh, if the purpose of this mirror arc is to foreground and highlight this is what the Federation right. is, yes, this is what right. our fleet is. Then you know what? That's great. That's that's exactly certainly in this day and age we need that you know and and in a lot of ways it reminded me of one of my favorite lines from Star Trek Beyond where Captain Kirk um, he tells he tells Idris Elba he says uh, better to die saving lives than live with taking them yeah. Um, and it's like that's what Starfleet is. So uh, if if all of this was to bring us to that moment, then hey, that that's not necessarily a bad
0: thing. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we especially for longtime fans who seemingly wrote the show off at the beginning for not being Star Trek enough, this was a solid Star Trek moment. I thought oh, yeah. definitely. Oh, yeah. Hundred percent. So yeah. yeah, Rachel.
3: So what I noticed was that when Lorca was the captain of the Discovery. Um, the sort of side characters, the helmsman and the it, like Kayla Detmer and mm-hmm. uh, the, Arium and is that the robot lady? Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, the other people. They didn't really talk that much yeah. or if they did, it was like sort of Ooh, yeah. like guest captain. And in this scene, they all talked right. and um, mm-hmm. which is you know far more in line with the sort of bridge of Starfleet that we have
4: mm-hmm.
3: seen before. And so I think that that really highlighted to me what the difference was between, I guess, Lorca and Saru is that Saru is a captain who is listening to his officers and his officers have a place, whereas Lorca or mere Lorca was a uh, authoritarian like the the discovery was his ship, and people were gonna do what he wanted to do, and you know, do battle drills over and over again, right? right. If you if you remember that, yeah. So, um, I liked it. It was, <laughs> it was worth Saru mentioning that, that he could sense the coming of death, and over and over again.
0: <laughs> yeah, because it it that was a seed that grew in this episode. Yeah,
3: yeah, and yeah. It was and it was cool when he said. Ed and his threat ganglia weren't out, so you knew they weren't in trouble. So.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it, it definitely an interesting way to uh, inspire confidence in a way that wouldn't have particularly been expected, especially from this character. You know, I mean, normally he's the guy who's in the corner, who's cowering and saying, There's death coming. It's like, Death is <laughs> if, if anyone knows when death's coming, it's me, it's not coming. This is ours now. Good <laughs> man. man, man I good also,
1: may I also also say again, you know, shout out to Doug Jones because this guy is, you know, seven feet, eight, you know, seven feet twenty inches tall, uh, with <laughs> with makeup all over his face, and he can't emote in in the ways that mm-hmm. we classically think a person would emote, his eyebrows don't raise. You know, his there's you know there's no real uh, definition on his face, so you could see uh, some facial ticks or something like that. But he was able to um, both emote assuredness and confidence just by like moving his head and just by you know a, a, a an inflection or, or you yeah. know like I'm, it, it, like you you understood everything that he was trying to convey without him actually being able to convey anything because he's under two pounds of makeup. So that was that was really amazing. That was remarkable.
0: Yeah, very well said. All right, well, let's move along with the plot. So Burnham and Saru agree to a plan in which Burnham lowers the containment field around a large energy source originating from the mycelial network. The discovery will then arrive to destroy the energy source, causing an explosion that they can ride into the mycelial network, back to the future style. Through which Stamets could navigate them home. Giorgio agrees to help Burnham, and they attack Lorca's group. So uh, it's quite a lot of further exploration between the apparent extra-universal bond shared by Burnham and Giorgio, even though these people didn't belong to each other's respective universe. So, what do you guys think of this larger destiny-laden idea that the characters seem to subscribe to about some things staying constant even across universes,
1: Cicero? Well, I think it it, it goes it goes back to what I said last week about uh, Giorgio's feelings about uh, Michael Burnham and 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 Terrence in general. That uh, yeah, the the mirror universe versions of ourselves are are um, they're evil. But, but they're only, they're only evil by, you know, this much. Um, you know, in, in terms of, in terms of w- w- there was, you know, there were certain things, there were a couple of things that, that, that went the wrong way in their universe that created the Terran Empire as opposed to creating the Federation. And that, you know, ultimately humans are humans are humans. And you could, again, I call back to the compassion that that L felt for Burnham in her own universe and saw those same things in in this and this in the prime Burnham that allowed her to lower her guard enough to look at this person as a compatriot as an ally and you know potentially as a loved one sure very well said Rachel
3: yeah, I think that the – I mean, as as it is in this show, it seems like the mirror universe people aren't really that different from their counterparts. They just have been raised within a completely different set of ideals. Mm-hmm. And so, it makes sense to me that you could sort of form the same bonds with your mirror universe um, with someone you loved in your universe mm-hmm. in, in a different universe. I mean, obviously, like – Burnham and uh, captain Lorca had you know like s- a similar connection and so it's it's not it's not really surprising to me that um, uh, Burnham and and Giorgio would be together and you know what I don't subscribe to Captain Lorca's crazy destiny theories it's <laughs> I think it's it's a parallel universe so it's got to be parallel
0: yeah <laughs> true Zaki, how about you
2: I'm I'm not a fan of of sort of trying to uh you know ma- make the mirror characters or the mirror counterparts like sympathetic. I mean, it's like uh, one episode ago she's like, "Hey, pick the kelpie you want to eat." <laughs> <laughs> and then and then this episode we're like, "Well, you know, like I don't I don't like that, you know. To to me the, this is this I'm like talking I'm like doubling back on myself now, but it's like <laughs> Uh, to me, the the mirror concept it's like high camp, and you spend fifty minutes of it, it, fifty minutes in it, and then you come back and you're like, man, that was a crazy place. The longer you spend in the mirror universe, the less sense it makes. So I think the discovery approach, which is sort of trying to, I don't know what's the word, like play it so straight down the middle, like it it's all it, it calls attention to sort of the the absurdity of the concept.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And and I'm I'm like you can't you can't have it both ways. You can't be the feared emperor like two episodes ago, and then be like, oh, but I need to hug you and save you. Like, no, no, no. She's she is bad. Yeah, because she didn't get to be the emperor by secretly being nice.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, right. I mean, you would think so, but uh, <laughs> you know. So
2: so like this is what I mean. Like like when I, when I look at this, and I'm like, what's more interesting to me is you have this this the civil war where think about it you have a you have a character like Lorca who maybe, in mirror universe terms is like kinder and more compassionate and that's why he's against the empire but in our universe he's this nasty guy and we're like what's his problem right, right. like the, to, you see yeah. what I'm saying right like that to me in narrative terms. Like, if you're gonna do a swerve, that's interesting because here we're like, I'm sitting here. I'm like, wait a minute. Why are we sympathizing with the emperor? She's bad.
0: Mm-hmm. the
2: sh- the show The show specifically told us she's bad because why have that scene with the Kelpians except to show like she's nasty. It's disgusting.
0: Well, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but uh, that that's where my misgivings come into play about the way that this episode ended because yeah. you know you very much know that the emperor is not. A good person i think michael is projecting which yes. is probably meant to emphasize a character weakness on her part that she can't necessarily separate the two very different people but uh you know we'll have to
1: wait seven days or whatever. so i so i i <laughs> kind of want to disagree with what zaki said if that's okay hit me all right so so i i like I think that, uh, you know, one of the things that we got to see in this version of the Mirror Universe, which is, again, I think is, is a thing that we need to understand is, is we've got a, a new crew of writers who are fans of, of, of the, of the fiction that is Star Trek putting their own spin on this, you know, tried and true, uh, uh, you know, character for lack of a better term in in with the mirror universe and i think that they you know star trek is is nothing if not a sign of the times in which they're in and i think that mm. what they were able to do with this mirror universe was was say that in the course of human events things could go just slightly awry and this is where we could wind up as a result um, You know, versus, you know, uh, the, we could have the Terran Empire or we could have the Federation and not and and really, honestly, they're they're not that far removed. And I think that, you know, one of the things that like I, I sat back and I was trying to figure out what what was Lorca Mira Lorca's uh, uh, goal? In trying to become the emperor, why did he want to become the emperor? And part of the reason that he wanted to become the emperor was because he felt like the emperor, the the current emperor, Emperor Jojo, was chilling on alien races. That while she was eating Kelpians as a delicacy, um, she was also open to having alien races. Uh, run markets and and have positions of prominence within the Terran Empire, and Lorca w- w- wanted no parts of that. And you know, all all aliens are subservient. All aliens should be in bondage. All aliens should be in chains. And 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 you know, Georgia was okay with with some aliens for what you know for whatever reason, and and they could have delved deeper into that, or they could have explored those things, uh, a, you know, a, a little bit more and grossly, but then we would have been there for another episode or two. Um, so I, I think that there was a, a portion of it based on their version of of the mirror, you know, the mirror universe that kind of made sense with how Georgiou played things based on the other mm. characters around her. All right. Well, so- yeah.
0: Diverging perspectives, but both equally valid, I think. Uh,
3: Starfleet talk there, it, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: <laughs> no, one's opinion is equal. Right? <laughs> Isn't that what he said? Yes. I, am I'm not exactly a believer in the Terran Empire, I guess. But uh, well, so I and I briefly touch on it in the uh, in in the discussion, or not in the discussion, in the summary. But there was a big fight. Between, you know, Burnham, Giorgio and Lorca, Landry and the rest of Lorca's followers. And I alluded to it earlier, but this might have been the best fight in Star Trek. Maybe. Yes. I mean, I'm trying to think of, of something that that is better, even in some of the best, most meritorious examples of the franchise. And when it comes to just visceral action, I'm not sure if much comes close to this. And please feel free to disagree with me if you can think of something better. But considering everything that's happened after all of our misgivings about the way that the season's larger plot has begun to shake out, I was not personally disappointed at all by the way this conflict came to a head. But how about you guys? Zachy, what did you think of, of this just conflict? There's not a lot of substance to it. It's just a fight. And what did you think of the way that it was played out?
2: Oh, it's very effective. Very much in uh, in the vein of of the Kelvin movies, um, which you know I think Jonathan Frake said that their that's that's their marching orders for Discovery is to evoke uh, those films, and I think this certainly uh, uh, succeeded at that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean that kick. She kicked him in the face yeah. straight <laughs> up. That was out of Crouching Tiger. Of course, it right. makes sense, right? But Holy hell, that was
1: that was crazy, Cicero. What did you think of this fight? Uh, I loved it. I mean, you know, again, this this entire episode, the you know the 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 shield and the standoff, the you know the standoff where. Uh, The mirror version of the, the black officer from the start, uh, from discovery. I'm sorry. I can't remember her name, but you know, she comes to give the warning and then she gets shot. And then you see all the red lights from all the, you know, all the phaser cannons. Um, that was crazy. This fight was just amazing. And the only thing that I think even comes close to this is Sulu's fight. On top of the, the, the satellite or whatever, when they were doing the halo drop onto Vulcan. Oh, the drill. Yeah. The That's drill. The drill on, on, on Vulcan. Like that was the only thing in all of the years of Star Trek that even comes close to how dramatic and, and how well choreographed this fight was. Um, the interesting thing for me was, so I watched the show. I watched it Sunday twice. Um, That's how much I really enjoyed it. I watched it wow. twice on Sunday and then watched it again with my partner a couple of days later. And she took the time. She was quiet throughout the entire episode. And then during the fight, she looked at me and she goes, this fight is kind of corny. And, and I was kind of taken aback by the fact that she said that based on like, are we watching the same thing? Like, are you, you know, and, and, and clearly she has, maybe she wasn't in the right mind mindset when she was watching it. I'm not sure. But I feel like she's kind of checked out from the cerebral nature of this show. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and this fight didn't bring her back in, um, so so you know, like w- as as true fans of 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 the universe, we were like, wow, this is amazing. And as someone who, isn't, who, who was maybe felt like you know they're getting way too heady, they're w- deep in the weeds with all of this crazy stuff that's happening in the mirror universe and all this other stuff. I think she's kind of checked out. Um, mm-hmm. So it was that was that was one of my biggest takeaways from uh, that fight in particular. Interesting. (laughs) Well, we'll see what happens next week.
0: Right. Rachel? (laughs) The fight.
3: It was good. I mean, I don't – have a super elaborate ranking system for fight scenes, like why not like everyone else seems to. Uh, but I was, I was not bored, and I was not confused, which is my bar for fight scenes because I get confused easily. Like if I can't track, like who's doing what. Um, so I wasn't confused, and um, I wasn't bored. So sometimes, I if there's too much action, I uh, tend to. I don't know, my brain just is like, all right, well I'll just wait until the end of this scene and whoever's still alive, that's important that's what's important. <laughs>
0: I just don't pay attention to that. Yeah.
3: Um so I didn't do that, so that was good.
0: All right. Yeah, and I can attest to that because I saw Captain America Civil War in the same theater as her and her eyes kind of glazed over at the, wow. the airport fight. I, so, I don't have wow. any memory.
3: Of that movie, <laughs> wow! Wait, they they fought at the airport in Civil War. Oh, that's <laughs> <Okay. cool. laughs>
0: so, moving along with the plot, rejected and defeated by Burnham, Lorca is killed by Giorgio, who then offers to sacrifice herself to allow Burnham's escape. Burnham instead takes Giorgio with her as they are beamed to the Discovery, and their plan is carried out as expected with Discovery unleashing a volley of photon torpedoes onto the mycelial core and starting their way back home. So, we've apparently come (laughs) to the end of the journey for the Imperial version of Gabriel Lorca, this character who we've been so engaged with and by for the entirety of this season, and who we only recently learned isn't the guy we thought he was. So give me your breakdown of Mirror Lorca's death how much it's affected by last week's revelation and other thoughts you have about this character and performance. Zachy, why don't you start us off?
2: Well, first of all, Jason Isaacs has been nothing less than spectacular. I mean, he, uh, you know, he played every shade that they asked him to, and he did it uh, phenomenally. And even evil Lorca, uh, you know, as, as Rachel mentioned earlier, I mean, it, you could tell he was cutting loose. It, rem- it reminded me of, of that, that bastard that he plays in the Patriot, remember where he's like <laughs> right. in the church
4: with the children
2: <laughs> uh, but but he's good at that. And it's funny because I definitely feel like his uh death scene is meant to like star, star, circle, circle, underline, underline. He's you know, it it, it reminds me of like I, I I was talking about Han Solo earlier. i I've, I made a joke where I was like, I feel like when Harrison Ford got the script for the Force Awakens, he's like, so I get stabbed in the chest and I fall into the reactor. And the planet blows up. Like he's like for sure, I am dead, right? <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> they kind of did the same thing here. He gets stabbed in the chest. He gets burned up. He incinerates. It's like he's one hundred percent dead. He is an ex Lorca, right? You know. Yeah. Uh, and he gave an interview. He's been very cagey. I hope we see him again in some capacity. they, they seem to have said in in various interviews that that the real Lorca. Is dead, and I mentioned that last time. I know it's been reiterated a few places, but if it's not on screen, it's not canon. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing the real Lorca.
0: Yeah, yep, yeah. same here. Rachel, breakdown of Mirror Lorca's death.
3: It was juicy. I, oh. <laughs> I, uh, I like it when a real bad guy gets a really like gross, like, <laughs> like juicy death where where he gets. Just impaled with the, (laughs) with something and through the chest and then he's is like oh we could have oh, yeah. yeah like some sort of like weak little like oh and but Burns you turned away like, the no other way. day
0: when Emil in Robocop got doused in toxic waste. Uh, help oh help, help me
3: help <laughs> me that was me. <laughs> 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 that actor exists only to die in ways that really disturb me.
2: That's <laughs> so true. <laughs> My mom the ER. remember like a helicopter fell on him
3: <laughs> yeah. that up. <laughs> yes <Well>, i <I'm> watched <laughs> ER for like I don't know how many years my entire childhood and the only thing I remember from that show is that guy getting his arm chopped off by a helicopter That's right. and just how like, horrified I was as a kid like I never even thought of that being a possibility
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was meaty this one was meaty you liked this one
3: Yes, it okay. was it was good. Uh, yeah, and then he, like his horrible face while he's like like disintegrating, and mm-hmm. it, it was great.
1: Yeah, Cicero. So I um I am a uh, I've been a big fan of uh, the Song of Ice and Fire, um, basically since the books originated. Um, I've been reading the books for you know how since ninety six basically ninety seven. Um, so when Game of Thrones was announced, I was really excited as a, as a a TV show and I watched it with all my friends and, and everyone and watched season one and was getting ready to spoiler alert for those of you who have not seen Game of Thrones. Um, you know, when that big scene happens in, the first season of Game of Thrones, and you are like, you know, here is here is our our protagonist, here is our guy, da 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 da, and he dies. Um, and you know when this happened, I you know I kind of smelled it coming, but I was like, oh shit, it it really happened, and I was like, damn it, they Game of Thrones me like, like uh, I really nice. felt like this was like this show could not exist without Gabriel Lorca because mm-hmm. he was just like he was he just occupied so much of the space and i loved him for it um you know just last week i was like you know you can't get rid of mira Luka. the show wouldn't exist as as it is without him and and they you know the game of thrones me and i you know i enjoyed it but but you can you can really tell that jason isaac he you know he knew he was going out and he was going to go out with a bang damn it and you know, when he got stabbed through the chest, he like he rolled out all the hams because, you know, he he <laughs> uh-huh. curled up his hands as he was reaching outstretched to Michael Burnham. And, you know, he went full. Shatner. Yeah, he did. He, <laughs> went, he went full Shatner. You should never go full Shatner. But he did it. He went full Shatner. We could have done it together and then and you know and then fell over and I'm like okay well maybe he's not really dead and then they pushed him over into <laughs> my celio into the mycelial core and he burned up I'm like okay he's gone for good <laughs> and, and he will never return and and I was like okay if you're if you're going to kill off this character that I love earn it and they did and they and mm-hmm. they, they Absolutely did. So, uh, you know, kudos to them and also kudos to Michael Burnham for that moment before he died where she's holding the, the phaser at him and she says to him, if you had asked us, we would have brought you here. We yeah. are star, you know, we are Starfleet. I am Starfleet. That is who I am. Um, you know, we would have brought you back. And that's all he had to do was ask. And, you know, he, he's not about that life. He's about that mycelial no. network life now.
0: <laughs> Fatal mistake yeah. on his yeah. part. All right. So the crew makes it out of the mirror universe, but they're also bringing some of the mirror universe home with them. So what do you guys make of the emperor being aboard discovery as they make their way home? Are you happy that we get to see more of her annoyed that the mirror universe hasn't been fully left behind or something else entirely? Zachy.
2: I am done, done, done (laughs) with the mirror universe. (laughs) Michael should have left her there to, to get shot to pieces and we never see it. I, I'm 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 irked. I gotta say I'm irked here, folks. <laughs> oh, I I will say this though. I do like how the show brought back the great Trek trope of if we tech the tech, and we tech the tech with the tech, this <laughs> might work. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, damn it's Tilly. I don't know what the hell they said. I don't think the writers know what they said either because the science advisor just filled all that stuff in. You know.
0: I mean, I'm pretty sure, like the equivalent is, you know, one point twenty one gigawatts into the flux yes. capacitor. That's yes. pretty much the That's basic framework know. of what happened. Like the
3: mycelial network is not a real thing. Well, so right, yeah, yeah, whatever.
0: But hey, you know. <laughs> all right, Cicero, what do you think about uh, Giorgio sticking on board the discovery as we head into next week?
1: Well, uh, you know, I take a I take an existential kind of uh, view of all of these things because it has to have a purpose beyond beyond uh, Burnham's admiration and and you know, quite frankly, love for um, for Philipa Georgia. Wh- whether it's the prime version or the mirror version, this one is alive. She's got to help her. Um, and you know, in and the fact that this woman was being selfless, in in, in essentially sacrificing herself so that so that Burnham could get away. Um, uh, clearly, we see that there is a purpose for her being there because when they do return uh, to the Prime Universe, things are not the way that they left them. So, no. uh, yeah. No, no, so- Right, so so you've you've got to imagine that uh, you know Mira Georgio and her ruthlessness, and you know, and her ability to be a tactician, uh, is going to pay some type of dividends for the Federation, um, because ultimately we know, you know, we know what happens with the, the Klingon War, the the Federation Klingon War, um, so so. The, the ties need to be turned and i I think that George is gonna be uh instrumental in that um the question I have is whether or not is gonna be there in season two mm-hmm. and i you know i i just like like you said at the beginning of the of of this episode I don't know what the hell's gonna happen I don't know what's gonna <laughs> happen I don't know
0: yep yep yeah, it's, it's uncharted waters. That's that's for damn sure. Rachel, what do you think about the emperor sticking with us at least into next week, but who knows for how long?
3: Well, it's good as a hook on the episode cuz as like you said, like there's nothing else where we're kind of like, what's going to happen or, or uh, yeah, we're, we're there, there's en- no there's no other clues as to what's going to
0: happen. Right, we're not right? expecting anything revelatory like we did with either Ash Tyler or with Lorca. Yeah,
3: yeah. Um, so it kind of gives us a, well, that's something to a thread to follow. Right. Mm. Um, I think it was really stupid of my <laughs> Michael to bring her there. Yeah. Like that was a bad choice. Uh, <laughs> she's going to eat Saru. Like, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. It's, um, it'll be interesting.
0: Yeah. 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 And I, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure that it's the wisest course of action either, but yeah, I mean, like, uh, like Cicero alluded to, well, let's, let's just move along with the plot. So arriving back in the prime universe, the discovery crew learned that they've arrived nine months after they left and that the Klingons are on the cusp of winning the war or have already won the war. I think they said, Saru said the Klingons have won the war, but then in the preview for next week's episode, Cornwell said that Klingons only occupy about 20% of Federation space, which is not insignificant. No, I think but, they
1: occupy like 80% of the Federation space and we, there's only 20% of Federation space. Oh, is that left? One.
0: Okay. All right. Well, that's pretty different then. Yeah. Uh, but either way, I mean, that's conceivably where the Emperor is going to come in handy, right? I mean, she spent an entire lifetime conquering peoples and she conquered Kronos uh, in, in her own universe. So she probably knows a fair amount of potentially helpful information when it comes to fighting Klingons. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if they abandon what makes a Starfleet fight a Starfleet fight, because I think they even say in that preview, Starfleet tactics aren't working. Right. Are you sure you want this person's tactics? I mean, she didn't exactly become the emperor of the Terran Empire probably by being a Starfleet kind of tactical leader. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm not particularly uh, happy. Is not the right word. I guess I'm just worried about how things are <laughs> are ultimately going to shake out. But it, I mean, I can't deny that it's an interesting prospect, but. You know, I think similarly to Zaki, I was kind of hoping that the mirror Universe story would be over by now. Uh, but it's not quite yet, but we'll see how things go. I mean, saving judgment until the end of next week's episode. But final thoughts as we prepare to see next week's penultimate episode. So we're now home, but the Federation is obviously on the defensive against the Klingon Empire in a losing effort, and discovery is without the battle-hardened certitude of at least a gabriel lorca so how intrigued or uninterested are we in seeing how the final two episodes end up winding things down especially you know considering that we know that the captain that we know isn't a uh, part of the crew anymore rachel what do you think
3: um i'm really interested to see where they go with this because i don't know i, mean, I don't have a sketch in my head for how they could wrap such a large problem up. Mm-hmm. Uh so the and the the Klingons having won the war is significant. Yeah. <laughs> and that so that's a lot of stuff that has to happen. Or uh or maybe they just go back in time and it never happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is a possibility too that I've thought of.
0: Um you think that's particularly likely though? I don't well
3: uh, I, maybe it's just me being pedantic continuity person, but I have to be like, if if there was a situation where like Starfleet lost a war to the Klingons and the Klingons occupied a bunch of like Federation space, and it was never mentioned in any <laughs> other <laughs> Star Trek, that's ridiculous. Well, but
0: we're picking things up quite a bit before the next established moment in in the timeline though that's the thing right I mean yeah. could could this have already happened I mean clearly when we pick things up in the original series the the Federation and the Klingon Empire are far from uh, friendly that's true you know that's true so whether or not there could have been this huge full-scale conflict, I think there's enough room specifically in the continuity to allow for something like this to have taken place. But yeah, I mean, it was never mentioned before, so it's news to us, but it's not in the history of the
3: Federation
0: book. No, it's not, but that's not technically canon either. Oh, right.
1: So So how about you, man? What do you think of this? Well, uh, you know, I, there's two things that, that uh, strike me. So the first is, Going into uh, this this episode of uh, Discovery, I you know, I, I go back to what I said last week, which was we've only got three episodes left. You know, yeah. how are they going to wrap up all of this stuff and get us ready for season two uh, with only three hours, less than three hours of TV left? Um and now you know on the other side of this uh, on the other side of the episode i'm like holy crap we've got two episodes left what the hell is going to happen um and you know so that that part is is strange you know is 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 weird to me that they were able to uh change my mind so definitively with with you know 45 minutes of television um the the second part is that you know as you talked about we, it seems like they are previewing the fact that we are going to see some terran terran like tactics used against the klingons to help change, turn the tide of the war for the federation and you know what that says to me is that the ghost of gabriel locus still lives mm. um that that you know the entire the entirety of our time Uh, with discovery in the prime universe, we were watching, watching it through the eyes of a Terran who is using modified Terran tactics in order to make things work. So I don't doubt that they can, you know, that there is a place for them within the Federation. They may not like it. It may not necessarily be palatable, but it gets results. And I think that that's what we're going to wind up seeing over you know maybe the next episode maybe the next two episodes who knows i don't know um the, the you know the the uh the rest of it though uh, you know again i am here for it i'm i'm here for the rest of the season because finally after like 8 or 9 weeks i have no idea what's going to happen and i love it yeah
0: absolutely yeah and i'm in the same boat as you i mean it's it's going to be interesting to see how i mean they released, actually, I think today they released a couple of pictures of next week's episode. And I don't want to necessarily spoil anything, but uh, there were a couple of indications of how the command structure could look in the episode. And I'll be really curious to see what ultimately happens and who's going to be leading the discovery into the final phase of this battle, and particularly the final phase of this season. But either way, Definitely a lot of very, very cool things put on the table. And yeah, like like we said before, we don't know what's going to happen next. I mean, maybe you out there have completely plotted this out in a way that you know, you've seen things that maybe we haven't picked up on. It's certainly possible. But for what it's worth, the writers have positioned the end of the season in a very unpredictable manner. And we haven't even talked about What uh, Laurel could be bringing to the table in the next couple of episodes or what Ash Tyler Valk is bringing to the table, presuming that he's involved at all. Uh, I mean, Valk, Ash Tyler did not appear in this past week's episode. A very conspicuous absence considering what we've seen over the course of this entire season thus far. But uh, I have a feeling that that's going to come home to roost in the next couple of weeks here. So time will tell. But, of course, thank you guys for a great discussion for this episode. We do have some listener questions to get to before we dismiss for the week. So why don't we open up the old communicator? So. Why don't we do this? Uh, well, why don't we each take a question? So the first one is from Aaron Henley. After the results of this episode, did Discovery shoot themselves in the foot by getting rid of one of the most interesting captains in Star Trek? Cicero, why don't you answer this one for us?
1: Um, no, they didn't shoot themselves in the foot. Um, it it seems that way at first, and I again I will will refer back to. Uh, My Game of Thrones reference, um, you know, again, spoiler alerts for those of you who haven't seen season one of of, uh, Game of Thrones. Ned Stark, um, played played by uh, Sean Bean, seemed like he was going to be the guy that drove this show for, for, you know, for years on end. And, um, you know, he was killed famously beheaded uh, in the ninth episode of the first season. So his story was over. And so many people thought the show was over, but it only got bigger and better after that. And you, you know, what you learned was that you lived in the world. You didn't live vicariously through the characters. And, and we won't, we, it, it won't necessarily be that brutal. Um, in, in the Star Trek universe, discovery won't be that way. But, um, I, I, I think, I think we've got, we've got a very interesting captain. In Saru. And this will be, I think, you know, I think what we're starting to see is the beginnings, the formation of the Discovery Bridge crew that we will know and love and, and live with for however long the, the, the show kind of kind of lives with us. Um, this is the first time that we've had a non-human captain. And I think that that is something to be explored. And, and I think that uh, if if his speech is any indication that Doug Jones is up to the task of allowing us to live vicariously through the, the eyes of someone who wasn't born on Earth to captain a, a starship.
0: Yeah, that's really well said. And I, Cicero, I don't know how far you've gotten in... Uh, the story of star Trek online, or at least the first part of the story in star Trek online. Right. But one of the, one of the things that I thought was really interesting as you get later on in the story uh, you know, obviously it takes place in the early uh, 2400s. Right. So in the 20 25th century. Right. So the enterprise F has launched by the time you get uh, to it's, I think it's about three quarters of the way through the story as you actually interact with the Enterprise F. And the captain of the Enterprise F is an Andorian. And I thought that, that oh, that's a really cool idea. You know, we haven't actually seen uh, an alien captain, particularly of the Enterprise, in a, a Star Trek TV show or movie. So yeah, I mean, if, if Saru ends up earning a promotion to captain and he's the one who ends up I mean, I'm pretty sure that Michael will still be the main character, as she should be. But, um, you know, if Saru does become captain of Discovery, that's a pretty cool possibility that I would be all in for. Absolutely. Rachel, do you have any thoughts on this?
3: Um, Saru is one of the most interesting Star Trek captains. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
0: Yeah, sure. All right. Well, fair enough. So. The next question from Lily Booth and I'll take this one. Where is Prime Lorca dead or lost? Lily, I'm subscribing to lost. I don't think that Prime Lorca is dead. First of all, we haven't met him, but we've met a vision of him. That's too cre it's too fertile of creative ground to just throw that away. If we learn that, like in the next couple of weeks, that Prime Lorca has been killed, in fact, like it's actually codified in an episode and it becomes continuity, I will be supremely disappointed because I think that there's a significant amount of potential to actually learning about the "quote unquote" real Gabriel Lorca. And you know, Rachel and I have uh, already pre-ordered Star Trek: Discovery, Drastic Measures, which is the next tie-in novel that comes out on February the 6th that takes place 10 years before the Battle at the Binary oh, Stars okay. that focuses on pre-Captain Giorgio and Lorca, Prime Lorca, a guy that we've never met before. I'm really excited to read that book so that I can learn about Prime Lorca. So I really don't think that they're going to say that Prime Lorca is dead. Uh, it's just, there's, there's too much there. I really don't think that Jason Isaacs would be unwilling to come back and portray the quote unquote real Lorca. I I just think that they would be, you know, prematurely shooting themselves in the foot if they establish that prime Lorca is already gone before we have a chance to see him. You guys have any
1: thoughts on that? He is D E D dead. (laughs) Uh,
3: he's definitely tied up in a box like mad yeah
1: i think i think jason Isaacs is is uh given his due uh to star trek and i think he's done
0: all right well we we will see we will see time will tell as in all things but uh the next question which i'll throw to rachel from daniel began what landed on Tilly's shoulder?
3: A, a spore particle. It was there for aesthetic effect to watch the spores go away You don't away think forever. there's any
0: significance to that?
3: Oh, why does there have to be significance to everything? Because can't, they specifically showed it. Can't things be just beautiful? Like of, bye course bye bye they, spores? of
0: course they can, but this is a television series. Nothing In is a year accident. 2K18. Right.
3: Yes.
0: <laughs> All right, so uh, you don't think that it was anything?
3: Uh, it was a spirit orb.
0: It was a spirit orb. <laughs> yeah. Now we're getting into Breath of the Wild territory.
3: No, no, like, uh, like when people take pictures and they see orbs in them and they're ghosts. Uh, that's what it was. It was Lorca's ghost went into Tilly, and now she's
0: possessed by Mira Lorca. So, so Mira Lorca is alive in Tilly. She is
1: now Tillywise.
0: Yes. <laughs> is that is that what you wanted? <laughs> I I just want to know what you actually think.
3: I. That's the only thing I can think I mean, Chris, of. I don't know. She did.
1: She did say it was just there for effect. That you were. You were incredulous. You're trying to get uh, the blood from that. All right.
0: Because I, I think she's. I know my wife. I think she's trolling me. Is what she's doing. She's got this glint in her eye that you guys can't see, it, but I can. It's the.
1: It's the thing that landed on Tilly's shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well the final Wait, question before, before, comes before. I just from- want to say I know what it is that's on Tilly's shoulder. She she was she, she was impregnated by the by the spores. Oh god. And she will give birth to the new the new spore forest for
0: <laughs> you know <laughs> I thought you, for a second, I thought you were going to say that she's going to give birth to Gabriel Lorca. <laughs> That's what I thought you were going to say for a <laughs> second. To Prime Lorca. That's,
1: to Prime, <laughs> yeah, there you go, to Prime Lorca. A suckling babe. <laughs> <Prime> Lorca. <laughs> <laughs>
0: like that, Rachel watched the most recent episode of the X-Files last night, and it superimposed grown-up David Duchovny's head on a child's body to see child molder. Oh, so that's what we'll see from Lorca. They couldn't
3: use the actor that they used for child molder because he's like 20, like 25 <laughs> oh, now. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's true. Well, all right. Well, this one's gone off the rails. Sorry, Daniel. I didn't know it was going to go into that kind of territory. But the final question of the show comes from a friend of the show. Kyle Sullivan, who's the creator of the awesome Trexpertise channel that you absolutely need to be subscribed to if you're not already. And he asks, I'd like to know about the power vacuum and how that might affect the reforms Imperial Spock will bring to the table. So we can all kind of chime in on this, but I'll chime in first just because this is the most, it's certainly a very, very, Interesting question, and you know it's got me thinking about the the what we know of the continuity of the mirror universe because it jumps basically from what we've seen here in Discovery to Mirror Mirror. That's the next established point in the timeline, and yeah, that probably does have some kind of an effect on the reforms that Captain Kirk uh, tried to instill in Spock to bring to. The world, you know, make it stick about uh, not killing the Halkins and try to reform the Empire into something that presumably more closely resembles the Federation. Obviously, we know that that has disastrous consequences for the human race. But yeah, I mean, it's a it's a really really interesting question from from a canonical perspective because you would think that maybe the the destabilization of the throne or of the Imperial throne will maybe make it easier for spock to recharacterize the empire that would be my guess it's coming from a boring political science perspective but if i had to to try and actually make a guess then that would that would be it the, the destabilization caused by the removal of emperor giorgio might actually make things easier for spock in trying to bring reforms to the empire but that's a total guess out of left field because we know nothing about who the emperor is by the time TOS rolls around. So kind of a meandering answer. I'm sorry, but do you guys have any perspective on this? Uh,
3: 10 years seems like a long time in Terran time. Yeah. I feel like they could probably <laughs> kill a lot of people, um, do a lot of blood baths in that time. So um, maybe, but mm-hmm. equally maybe not.
1: Yeah. Cicero? Yeah, I mean it, it it kind of feels like um you know because we you know we didn't really talk about it in the episode but you know the 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 Karen gets destroyed. Um anyone with any type of leadership aspirations that we knew of is now dead, uh presumably. Right. Um you know we we never explicitly see that the Karen is destroyed, but we you know we kind of figure that. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of people that are, uh, um, you know, uh, allies to Lorca and, in, in on other worlds, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a hell of a power vacuum there. And, and, you know, so we could probably, there probably will be a somewhat of a, some kind of civil war and, and then there will be an emperor, but that emperor at that point, uh, in, in their career, 10 years into the future. Probably didn't doesn't have a lot of time under their belt to uh to kind of solidify their their position. So I think that it gives a lot of uh, you know gives a lot of flexibility to Mira Spock to go in and kind of change the tenets of of what the uh what the Terran Empire is and of course uh if someone finds information from the defiant uh that the emperor emperor Georgia was was hiding away uh could also you know like knowledge of the federation can can be uh, a a dangerous ally in in changing what the Terran Empire is
0: yeah and you know this episode of discovery kind of points out something pretty interesting because Lorca tries to tell Michael that the Federation is nothing more than a failed social experiment. And right. in Mirror Mirror, Kirk basically tells Spock, your empire is illogical because it cannot endure. The basic foundation of what makes the Terran Empire is not something that that shares traits with truly prosperous societies. It's built on backstabbing. It's built on... You know, assassination in order to advance in rank—that's right. that's not the basis of a truly beneficial society. It's just a basis of maintaining terror and power, and uh, and that's one of the things that I love about the original Mirror Mirror episode is that Kirk directly challenges that Spock, who. From what we understand, especially coming off of these Discovery episodes, is a rarity, an alien actually serving in the hierarchy of the Terran Empire, uh, that it's illogical for him to to have any part of it. So he even says, you know, be the captain of this enterprise. Find a reason for sparing the Hulkans. Find a way to make it stick. And you can change the present. It's like one – Spock says one man can't summon the future and Kirk says, but one man can change the present. If Spock is able to relieve uh, Mirror Kirk of his command and actually become the captain of the Enterprise, the ISS Enterprise, then maybe that will put him in a better position to actually start to affect the changes in the Terran Empire, and maybe Spock's actual position of authority, of relative authority in the Terran Imperial structure, you know, being the first officer of a starship. Maybe that is a direct result of Emperor Giorgio being displaced. You know, we don't know because it doesn't seem like there's a lot of aliens in power positions from this point in time of the empire that we just saw. So there's a lot of really interesting continuity questions that arises from that, that statement that you made, Kyle. Of course, you make us think on this show as you do every time you make an episode of True expertise. So thank you to Kyle for chiming in and thanks everybody for sending their questions. But I think that's going to do it for episode 15 of discovery debrief we hope you enjoyed the show and if you did please like and follow us on our social media channels and if you'd be so kind we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show on itunes or facebook it only takes a minute and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted if you have any questions you can follow the show on twitter at dsc debrief where you can also find all of our individual twitter handles and feel free to send us questions through twitter our facebook like page or by emailing us directly at frequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes and keep an eye on our various channels to find out when you can listen to our next episode as we barrel forward headlong into the conclusion of Discovery's first season. And of course, in the coming weeks, we'll have news for you on what we'll be up to when Star Trek Discovery actually concludes its first season because we don't plan on going away. So, for Zaki, for Cicero, for Rachel, I'm Chris Clough. Thank you so much for listening to the latest episode of Discovery Debrief. And as always, until we speak again, go boldly, my friends.